Well, good morning. I'm Dan, one of the pastors here, sometimes known as Dan Dan, the missions man. But we're delighted that you're here. Together we can open the scriptures to hear from God as he opens our eyes and hearts to his truth and voice. So pray with me as we begin. Father, that, is, that song is the prayer of our hearts. Open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts. We want to see Jesus. We thank you that you will answer that in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Stunned, amazed, awed, stupefied, flabbergasted. These are the emotions of the people at noon gathered around a well in a dusty village that we've met in John chapter 4, verse 27. They were people that Jesus had met, and they were stunned by what he said and did. Jesus had led his disciples through Samaria, through a region that no Jew wanted to go. A hostile people that had disdain for each other ethnically, culturally, spiritually. And approaching the outskirts of the village, Jesus sits by a well. His disciples go get food. A woman comes out to draw water. And her life is transformed by an encounter with Jesus. When we think of being awed, when we think of marveling at something... We sometimes think of natural wonders, right? Yosemite, you come around the bend and, oh, there it is, El Capitan. Or we, we go into um, the, the Grand Canyon. It's just awesome. Or Niagara Falls. Or for some, the Great Mall of America. You know, there's different things that awe us <laughs> in Minnesota. Yeah. When I think of marveling, I also think of great works of art that have been done by men and women throughout the ages that help us marvel and stand in awe. There's some of those portrayed behind me. And for the last few months, I've been looking at these great works of art. We think of the, the one at the top right there is a Bernini, right? It's a sculpture, a bust of Christ, Salvador Mundi, savior of the world. He, he carved that at 81, his last piece of work. There was another one here, down lower. I know you can see it because I usually sit in the back with my mom on Sunday mornings and I watch these. This is the call of St. Matthew. Jesus' hand reaching out to Matthew. God calling a sinner from darkness to light. And we see the word light over that, a Caravaggio piece. There was another one here. This one right in the middle. A Caravaggio. This is the Judas, right? Kissing Christ. The betrayal of Christ. An oil painting from 1602 that was lost and recently found. It was hanging in the the dining room of a Jesuit monastery. And they found it there and now it's in the National Museum of Ireland. But part of great art. The one we probably all see is the one far right, the Pieta. Right? The, The one with Mary holding the body of Christ. It's a portrayal of love and devotion. It's a Michelangelo piece. It's one he did at age 24, and it sits in St. Peter's Basilica in in the Vatican. But it's one of of devotion and faith, devotion to her son, yet, yet faith in him 
as her savior. People line up in these places, in these museums, to look at these big pieces of art, to marvel at them. And they're a great background for us as we worship. But in the text in John 4, 27, the people also marvel, and they're transformed because of it. Read with me verse 27. The disciples. Just then the disciples came back. They had gone for food, and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? It's interesting. They marveled. The disciples were amazed at his action. And his action was that of talking to a woman, a Samaritan woman, a Samaritan woman with five husbands. Jesus was breaking down barriers, and they were stunned. That word marvel isn't looking at art saying, wow, look at that. They were speechless. They didn't ask him any questions. Whoa, whoa this, is, this is out of our character. Our, our categories. It's, it's drop the mic. It's shut the door. What is Jesus doing? They're stunned by his actions, which is crossing barriers. Now, it shouldn't be a dis, uh, surprise to his disciples. They're going to learn Jesus crossed a lot of barriers, but they didn't learn it here, and they didn't learn it for a long time. They were speechless. It's as stunning for us to see as the disciples saw that fig tree that withered before their eyes. Or stunning as you see a a demoniac, someone who is completely possessed, frothing at the mouth, screaming, crying, and then delivered, and then calm and peaceful. That's stunning. It's stunning as if seeing President Trump hugging Nancy Pelosi. All right, try the Trump joke. That would be stunning. Shut the door. I mean, it won't happen. There's no way. They're watching Jesus and they're saying, no way, this shouldn't happen. Jesus shouldn't cross these barriers. But that's the story of the scriptures. Jesus crossing barriers, God crossing barriers. It started with creation where he made heavens and earth and he made man so that we could commune with him. And he walked with Adam and Eve in the garden, breaking barriers Then when Adam and Eve sinned and turned their backs against God, God started this rescue operation, this relentless rescue operation, crossing barriers to bring them back. He calls a man named Abraham and says, I want you to be the father of many nations. He called Moses to deliver his people. He raises up the judges to tell the people, hey, you need to come back to the living God. Then he raises up kings, the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, as a light to the world, God crossing barriers. He raises up the prophets to call people, and they kill the prophets. Then the big barrier, when God the Son comes to earth as a baby, as a person, crossing huge barriers so that we might have life. Then God calls his disciples, crossing barriers, guys like Matthew, who made a living out of hurting and stealing from the poor. God says, I'm crossing barriers. I'm calling you, Matthew. You're going to be my disciple. God has crossed barriers throughout history. 
when the children of Israel knew the knew knew, and then and then the, the church started to grow, and then the church started to expand into the Roman Empire, and from the Roman Empire it sent up to the Anglo-Saxons and the Vikings and the barbarians, and into India, St. Thomas went in Asia, and God continued to cross barriers. We see it in Acts 10, the story of Cornelius, a Roman centurion. Peter should have known by Acts 10 that God crosses barriers, but he didn't. He thought the good news was for the Jews only. So he had that dream. You remember it? The the sheet came down from heaven with all the unclean animals. And in his dream, he heard a voice, Peter, take, kill, and eat. And Peter said, absolutely not. I'm not crossing that barrier. (laughs) I'm not going to take the gospel to anyone outside of the Jewish family. And Jesus, again, She came down. Peter, go do it. There was a knock on the door. A man said, hey, can you come see Cornelius? A centurion. Peter went, and he went to Cornelius, and Peter's eyes opened and saw, yes, God goes through barriers. Peter, in a sermon there in Acts 10, says God is not partial. God is not racial. He is the Lord of all. The disciples were stunned that God crosses barriers. We've all seen it in our lives. We're here. (laughs) He crossed the barrier for you, and you know you. And he crossed that barrier to bring you to himself. I was church planting in a village in Trinidad named Caparo. And in this this Hindu village was a pretty tight village of Hindu temple, pretty agnostic or or anti the, the gospel. And the missionary that had just gone before me, he just had a heart for going to the roughest person in the village. That's who he wanted. So he went after Shah Mohan. Shah Mohan was, was the drunk. He would work in the sugarcane fields in the day. He would drink at night. He would run through the village with a machete chasing people. He would go into his house and beat his wife. And the missionary said, I'm going to stand up against this guy. So he would chase Sham around. And Sham was afraid of him, right? I don't want this guy. And one night as Sham was running through the village, he sees the missionary standing in front of his house late at night. Sham says, I'm not going there. I'm going to sit here till the missionary goes home. Sham waited all night. And the missionary's still there. And when dawn broke, Sham realized it wasn't the missionary. It was just the way the light hit a palm tree. But he went home, eventually came to know Christ. And when I got to the village, we started the church in Sham's house. Sham Mohan, the tawn drunk, God crossed the barrier, brought him to faith. And next to Sham was Papa D, we called him. He was the richest man in the community who had a huge egg farm that produced all the eggs for the island. Together, we sat reading the scriptures. God breaks barriers. It's a wonderful thing. It was stunning to the disciples. They didn't get it. The second thing that was amazing was the woman in verse 28 through 30. She is stunned. Read with me. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? This woman was stunned by the words of Jesus. He knew me. That was her message to the people in the town. He knew me. He knows all about me. And he loves me. And he accepts me. She was stunned. 
drops the jar, takes off, changes her agenda, changes her plans. It's over. He knew me. She was stunned by that. Fully known and fully loved. I mean, if someone walked up to you after the service and said everything about your life, all your secrets, would you be stunned? Oh, I heard a murmur. Yeah, we have secrets, huh? Okay, of course we would. She was stunned to be known, but to feel that love. I read a story this week of a lawyer. Well, it's the story of an older woman. I'll say that. It's a story told of a prosecuting attorney in a small town courthouse, and he called his first witness, an elderly woman who came to the stand. And he approached her and asked, Mrs. Jones, do you know me? And she responded, why, yes, I know you, Mr. Williams. I've known you since you were a young boy. And frankly, you've been a big disappointment to me. You lie, you cheat. I had to check this with my son who's a lawyer to make sure um, it was okay to say this. You manipulate people and talk to them behind their backs. You think you're a rising big shot, but you have the brains to realize you'll never amount to anything more than a two-bit paper pusher. Yes, I know you. The lawyer was stunned. Not knowing what else to do, he pointed across to the room and asked, Mrs. Jones, do you know the defense attorney? She replied, Well, of course I do. I've known Mr. Bradley since he was a youngster. I used to babysit him. And he too has been a real disappointment to me. He's lazy, bigoted, has a drinking problem. The man can't build a normal relationship with anyone. His law practice is one of the shoddiest in the entire state. Yes, I know him. At this point, the judge wrapped the courtroom to silence and called both the lawyers to the bench. In a very quiet voice, he said with menace, If either of you ask her if she knows me, I will hold you in contempt of court. (laughs) Yeah, she knew them. And God knows everything about us. In Psalm 139, we read that he knows our thoughts. He knows our words before we say them. He knows when we lie down, when we rise up. He knows where we go to hide. He knows us completely. He formed us. He made us. He knows us. And he loves us. Right where you're sitting today, God knows everything about you. Everything you're holding. All the secrets, all the stuff that's out there. He knows it. And he loves you. And when the woman heard that, she was stunned. The God of the universe knows me and loves me. He goes everywhere with us. When we go to the restaurant after service, he's there with us. When we're in our car listening to music, he is there. Late night TV, he is watching. When we're reading the word, he is with us, with our colleagues. The woman was stunned by his words. He knows me. And he loves me. And it changed her life. The third thing we marvel at is that his followers were stunned by his call. His call to them that he sends us. Read with me from verse 30. It says, after she had told them, the people, about Christ, they went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. They don't get it. So the disciples said to one another, who brought him food, something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food 
is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and comes a harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. See that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. One sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered in to their labor. There's two big words in the book of John. Believe and sent. And we see them here. The people came and they believed. And then Jesus said something very stunning. The purpose and the goal of my entire life is to do the work of the Father. And that is to bring salvation to all people. A stunning task. A stunning purpose. Spurgeon said salvation here is called God's work. Our Lord, our Master had but one thought, but one wish, but one aim. He concentrated his whole soul, gathered up the vast floods of his mighty powers, and he sent them in one channel, rushing towards one great end. My meat is to do the will of him who sent me, and to finish his work. His vocation became his delight. His father's service is his element. He never is happy when he's out of it. He casts his whole being, his whole spirit, into the work of man's redemption. The purposes of Jesus' life, the will of the Father. And what was the will of the Father? To finish his task, to do and be a part of the harvest. The disciples heard that, and the world was changed. Their purpose changed. Their agenda changed. Their goals changed. We see here in the rest of the passage the laws of the harvest. These are rules of the harvest. Just like in normal harvest, there's rules of when you plant, when you fertilize, when you reap. You have to do it at the right time. In Southern California, there's rules of the harvest. If you look up or or Google, when do you harvest things in California, it'll tell you. I found out that avocados are harvested in May. Anyone with an avocado tree? Pumpkins are harvested in October. You could guess that. Blackberries, July and August. Weeds, every month in my garden. But there's rules of the harvest. It's regular, it's normal. And we see rules of the harvest here in the text. One is, there's nine rules. One, it's harvest time. Jesus said, it's harvest time. Now is the harvest time. It's not in another age. It's not for another generation. Now is harvest time. Not in the sweet by and by. It's harvest time. The second law, God prepares the harvest. God prepares the harvest. When Jesus went to the well and that woman came, she was prepared to hear the word and to respond. God prepares the harvest. You ever shared your faith with someone and they say, oh yes, I'd like to receive Christ. And you go, really? (laughs) God prepares people. I remember on a trip to Cuba as we went door to door in this one town, every family wanted to receive Christ. And we were going, really? Yes. 
Or Josh, who read the scripture earlier today, who directs our international student ministry. He got a couple weeks ago, a call a couple weeks ago from a German student, said, I'm leaving the country. Can you come back and pick up the furniture that you gave me at our furniture drive? And we do that. We go pick up the furniture, our address and phone number is on the bottom of it, and then we give it to another student. And so Josh went to pick up the furniture to this, from this German student, knowing in his mind, this is the last time I'm going to see the student. So Josh went up, got the furniture, and as they were loading it, Josh again explained the gospel and said, would you like to receive Christ as your Savior? And the student said, yes. And Josh thought, really? <laughs> That's great. And led him to the Lord. Harvest time is now. God prepares the harvest. The third law of the harvest is many are unaware of the harvest. The disciples didn't realize there's a harvest. When they went to town, they brought back food. When the woman went to town, she brought back people. (laughs) Harvest time. Some of us are blind to the harvest. Fourth law of the harvest. We're called to action. We are called to action. It says in verse 35, lift up your eyes. Lift them up. As you just told the disciples, lift up your eyes. Look onto the harvest. What did they see? People coming from the village (laughs) to the well. Jesus is telling them, this is the harvest. It's people. It's ripe. It's right now. Fifth law of the harvest, pray. Luke 10, 2 says, pray the Lord of the harvest. It says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray that God would send forth more laborers. And we do that. Remember hearing the story of George Stott. He was a one-legged school teacher from Scotland. He called himself that. He had lost his leg as a teenager in an accident. But he volunteered for missionary service to China. And when he was asked why he with only one leg thought of going to China, he said, I do not see those with two legs going, so I must. (laughs) Hudson Taylor accepted him, and he spent 20 years in China. Sixth law of the harvest, there's wages in verse 36. There's wages for those who reap. There are rewards. There are benefits. Seventh law of the harvest, verse 36. There's eternal life and death. This is a life and death harvest. Not just blackberries. Life and death. Eighth law of the harvest. There's different roles in verse 37. Some are reaping. Some are sowing. But we're all part of the harvest. We are part of the harvest. He looks at the disciples and said, you didn't sow this harvest we're going to get with those people coming out. The prophets did. John the Baptist did. This woman did. We are going to reap. We all have a part in the harvest. And the ninth laws were sent by God in verse 38. Jesus says, I send you to reap. There's a harvest and we're a part of it. His followers were stunned by his call. That life isn't just to be comfortable. His food, his meat, was to do the will of God, and it is ours as well. The response is in verse 39 to verse 42. Many Saritans believed because of the woman's testimony. They came to him, they asked him to stay in their homes for a couple days, and he did. And in verse 42 it says, They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said we believe, For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. 
the power of the words of Jesus. Jesus didn't do any miracles that we know of in Samaria. Just his words brought life. Well, how do we respond? If God breaks down barriers, if he knows us, if he's calling us to be a part of the harvest, how do we do it? What do we do? If you've been a part of EV Free for any amount of years, you know our church has been one that really seeks to be a part of the harvest. Ever since this church was 13 young families coming out from Los Angeles and living in the orange groves of, of Fullerton, they invited their colleagues, they invited their friends, they invited people into their, from their community. We went out to the other side of the community inviting people in. We've always been, there's a harvest. We need to be open to all. As for those overseas, our church in the past 63 years has sent 180 missionaries overseas. 60 of them are still, are still serving. God has called us to be a part of the harvest. Now, we can be a part of the harvest several ways. We can go, we can pray, we can send, we can welcome, but we need to be a part of the harvest. We have a directory in the plaza today of our missionaries, of those 60 that are overseas. Some of them, their names have been changed. Some of them, there's no pictures. Some we haven't put in the directory because of where they are in the world. They are in the ends of the earth giving a witness to Jesus Christ. We have an opportunity to go. If you want to be part of a short term, we're sending out short terms this summer. We have seven teams that are growing, whether it's construction or whatever you'd like to do. If God's calling you to be a part of the harvest, you got to drop your jar. you got to drop your football practice. you got to drop whatever and say, okay, I am in. God calls us to go. We have three new missionaries we're sending out, the Kellers, Ellie Moucher, the Clarks. I saw the Clarks right here. Wave for us. You were accepted as missionaries three days ago, and you'll be heading to Berlin. We want to th- you stand up. We want to thank you, them and their son, Paxson. Yeah, there you go. We're all missionaries. We're all witnesses, but God calls some of us to different tasks. We are to go. Secondly, we are to, to send to send. There's a high cost sending people out, sending our family, sending the best in our church to go, sending financially at cost. I did a funeral a couple weeks ago for Vivian Fuller. She came to know the Lord at age 70. <laughs> she lived till 95, involved in Bible studies here. Her Bible was incredibly marked up as I looked at it at her memorial. And she did one thing. We'd see her every June. She'd come up to the office with a check, and she'd say, Pastor Dan, I can't go overseas, but I want to send some high schoolers and college kids overseas. And every year she gave hundreds of dollars for others to go. Right before she died, I was given a folder that they found in her house. It was all the newsletters from all these students that she had sent, letters she'd written them, letters that they had written her back. A wonderful testimony of someone in our body sending And then welcoming, we're to welcome people like Josh does with international students. People in our community that are different from us, we welcome them and then we pray, God, what do you want us to do? There's a Wednesday morning prayer meeting. There's emails that go out of prayer requests if you want them about our missionaries. But we are all part of the harvest. God wants us to be a part. Those around the well 
were astounded. Do we want God to astound us, to amaze us? Pastor Jeff, earlier this week, in our teaching meeting that we talk about this sermon, said this. When was the last time you dropped your jar? (laughs) When was the last time you heard from God and you said, okay, I'll do that for you? Whoever you identify with us in the story, the woman at the well, the people, the disciples, God has a place for us. Whether you identify with Judas behind us, kissing Christ, whether you feel you've betrayed Christ, whether you identify with Matthew, someone who has cheated people and lived in darkness, whether you identify with Mary, someone who is devoted to Christ and loves Christ, Jesus comes to us and says, I'm breaking barriers. Jesus knows you, and he says, I love you. And Jesus is calling us to be about his Father's work. What a great life we have to look forward to. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your crystal clear call, the modeling of your life. And we want to be people that follow you wherever you go. We want to be a part of the harvest. So speak to us, Father, if there's something we need to do, quicken our spirits, make us open to go for your glory and your glory alone. We pray in Christ's name and all God's people said, amen, amen.